Hey, good morning. How are we doing? It's good to be inside, isn't it? Nice and warm, electricity. Isn't it true oftentimes that sometimes when we lose something, we remember to be thankful for it when we get it back? Is that true? Man, I just love it. I mean, just the power outages and thinking about different places I've been around uh, the world that actually don't have power. And how funny it is that, you know, I, I take it for granted and I get used to it and refrigerators and heat and stuff like that. And, and then all of a sudden you lose it. Our family, our family lost heat. We woke up one morning and it was like 59 degrees. And we went, uh-oh, right? Problem. All of a sudden I'm thankful for this thing that I forgot I had. And so we're happy that you're here. We're excited that you're here this morning. We have heat. We have electricity. If you don't have it at home, stick around today. We don't care, right? Make yourself comfortable. Here's, I, I want to start with a question. Just a question really quick. How's your New Year's resolution coming along? And the crowd goes silent. <laughs> why not? Why are we quiet? Why are we, why are we silent? Here's what's so funny. I read this actually like two days ago. I got an email that came in and it said the average length of a New Year's resolution is, any guesses how many days? Any guesses? Four, I heard 14, I heard 10. It's actually right in the middle. It's 12 days. The average length of a New Year's resolution that people stick to consistently. Consistently. How can you be consistent for 12 days? But consistently is 12 days days. Why? Why? I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about the answer because I'm going to ask it four different times today. The question goes like this. What is most important to you in life? What is most important to you in life? This is what's so true about us as people is we often sacrifice what we want most. This thing, however you answer this, we often sacrifice what we want most for what we want right now. Isn't that true? Think about this, okay? I wanna lose weight this year. I got an exercise plan. I added it to the calendar. I opened up the gym membership. I'm so excited. I'm so ready to go. And then I look at my cupboard and I see this stash of Reese's, okay? Reese's are my crimp tonight. I can't help it. They just pull me, they gravitate. And here's how my process works, maybe for you too. You just look and you go, let's be honest. One is not gonna make a difference in the long-term health of my life. <laughs> Have you had the same thoughts? One is not going to kill me. All of a sudden, there's eight wrappers on the counter. I don't know what happened. But let's be honest, one day of letting go isn't going to change the trajectory. How about this? Uh, I want to get out of debt. I want to get out of debt. I just want to change it. I want to move forward. I'm tired of being strapped, whether it's credit card or auto loans, or, or maybe if it's even mortgage. You just go, I, I just want to be done. I hate owing people things. And then on your way to work, you find yourself in the line at Starbucks. You wanna know one of the worst pieces of news ever? Uh, calculate how much your Starbucks cost per gallon. <laughs> it's not hard math. You add it up and you realize when you're paying $40 a gallon for some coffee, it doesn't taste that good. What about this? I want better relationships in my life. I want a healthier marriage. I want better relationships with my kids or maybe my parents or people at work. And yet so often our go-to or our bend when we get home is we pull out our computer or we pull out our tablets or we pull out our phone and we hit something like Netflix or we hit YouTube or we hit Hulu or, or, or whatever it is. And we just spend time doing mindless, pointless things that, that what I care about most or what I want most is better relationships in my life but I'm willing to sacrifice that for what I want right now because I'm tired. Let's go one more deeper. What about our relationship with God? I just wonder, as I put up that question, you know, what's the most important thing to you in life? Where does God fall on that list? 
And I wonder too, I mean, how many of us, you know, we set a New Year's resolution. I wanna read the Bible every day or wanna pray or wanna spend time. I wanna grow my relationship with God because that's what's most important to me. And yet what decisions do we make in life that are temporary and immediate that keep us from experiencing what we desire the fullness of in a relationship with God? So I'm gonna ask you again, what's the most important thing to you in life? What's the most important thing? And not just important, can I clarify that? Not just what's important in your life, what is the most important thing to you in life? If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up, we're gonna be in Mark 10 today. Mark chapter 10, Mark um, wrote the gospel. It's a shorter gospel, but it's, it was quick. It was one of the first ones written after the time of Jesus. And he tells us where we're at in the story. Jesus is moving along, he's traveling, he's in a place called Judea. And he, everywhere he goes, crowds follow him. They love him. They can't get enough. You know, and he blesses the children and he, he heals people and his teaching just blows people's mind. And so they follow him and he goes in and he teaches. And one of the last things that he does before we're gonna jump into is all these little kids keep running up to Jesus. They just wanna hang out with him. He's just fun. He's cool. And the disciples, the guys that are with him say, hey, 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 go back to mom and dad. Find something else to do. He's busy, okay? He's a good teacher. He's got stuff to do. And Jesus says, hold, time out. Let them all come. Bring them all to me because it's people like these children that will inherit the kingdom of God. And just as he's about to leave this area in Judea, just as about, he's about to leave, this man comes up and this is what happens. We're in Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 17. We got words for you up here. It says, as Jesus, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right as he's about to go, right as he's about to leave, this man, he has to ask this question. He has to get to Jesus. So we're in this series called Simplify, which is all about, you know, money and stuff and relationship with God and how do they all interact with each other. But what we're gonna tackle today And what Jesus is going to teach us just in the short time that we have together has the power to change the rest of your life forever. Do you realize that? That what's what's about to come just in the next couple of verses, Jesus has the power to transform your life and to transform your heart forever. And it doesn't matter about your income or your background or your earning potential, your net worth or your stage of life. It doesn't matter who you are. What Jesus is about to offer us today can totally change your life. And it is extraordinarily simple and incredibly difficult. And therefore, most of you won't do it. Aren't you ready now? Sweet, awesome, what is it? Well, let's read together. After asking this question, again, say it with me. What is the most important to you in life? What's the most important thing to you? Here we go, let's jump in. Mark 10, verse 18. It reads like this. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. I love this. We're just gonna start here. We're gonna break this and pick this whole passage apart. The man comes up and he says what? Good teacher, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, I've always wondered this. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Why is Jesus so snippy at him? What's he say? Why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. How would you feel if you're the man? 
Why did Jesus do that? Why did he go? Why? Why does he bring up good? And here's the thing. Pay attention to this. That is going to come up in just a second. The idea of goodness. Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. This is so interesting and so fascinating. We're just gonna have a little dialogue today, okay? We're just gonna have some fun. How many commandments are there? Yes. 10 commandments. How many commandments did Jesus just list? He listed six. What we see here, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud and honor your father and mother. And this is what's so fascinating about Jesus' response to this young man is because the 10 commandments, the first four and the latter six can be described in this maybe oversimplified way. The first four are vertical. This is you and your relationship with God. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not use my name in vain. A couple others. But then the six that he lists here are horizontal. These are relationships with other people. This is how to live, how to function, how to relate. And so what he says is, don't commit adultery, do not murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. And that one is fascinating because what the commandments from Moses said is you shall not covet your neighbor's belongings. You shall not desire that which isn't yours. And so Jesus, it just, it, he changes it slightly to possibly fit this man's position, predicament, situation. And then honor your father and mother. And so this is what he says. He says, teacher, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Let's go to the next one here. Can you read this with me? Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. Have you ever seen that in this passage before? This is one of my favorite passages. I've taught on it before. I've read it before. I love it because it just looks so incredibly difficult what Jesus tells this man to do. But I've never seen this in the way that I saw it this time. That before Jesus even responds again to this man, and he says, I, I've obeyed the commandments. I've done them since I was a boy. Let's read in just a little bit. I'm good, right? Remember what Jesus' first response was? No one's good except for God. But Jesus looked at him and loved him. Something we just need to know or we need to hear today is this, that Jesus has something better for you than what you're currently experiencing in life. That whatever it is, wherever you're at, whatever phase or stage of life or status of relationships or job or finances, whatever, Jesus has something better for you than what you're currently experiencing. And if he stirs in your heart at any point today, pay attention because he's calling you to it. Let's keep reading. 1021. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. How is that loving? I mean, put yourself in the guy's shoes. 
Okay, I'm desperate. I've been thinking about this. I've had sleepless nights. I've heard about this guy named Jesus. He's walking around. He's teaching people. He's changing people's lives. He's healing people. He's doing all these incredible things. And I feel like I'm good and I feel like I got it under control, but there's something deep down in my heart that just says, you haven't quite done it yet. There's something in my heart that just knows I'm off balance or I'm off kilter or something's not right. And so you get to Jesus and you look at Jesus and you say, is there anything that I've missed? Is there anything that I didn't get? Is there anything that I haven't yet done? Am I good? And Jesus says, oh, there's, there's one thing. Go sell everything you have. Give it to those who need it. And then you will have treasure in heaven. But he doesn't stop there. Then he says, but then come follow me. Here's what might be on your mind. He's not gonna ask me to do this too, is he? Right? Has that crossed your mind? That's one of the parts I hate about this. I love that it was him. I love that he's the story. I hate the idea of me being in the story. Here's the truth. The way that we handle our money and our stuff is often indicative of spiritual things or issues that are going on much deeper in our hearts. If you're writing something down, I want you to hear this. And I want you to get this. Jesus, as he looks at this man who says, I've done everything that was right. I've done things that were good. Jesus, is there anything I lack? And Jesus sees through the charade. He sees the status of this man's heart. He looks right through the wealth and the prosperity and, and through the good leadership and the potential. He looks through all of it, even the questions. Even the questions, and Jesus says, there's a major issue that's going on in your soul that is masked for the rest of us to see because of this thing called wealth. And as he speaks to wealth for this young man, what he says is, your wealth isn't the problem. The problem is much deeper in your heart. And wealth just looks like this symptom. So I wanna give you a couple examples of this. Um, I'm just gonna ask you a series of questions. The answers are going to be one of these two. It's going to be symptom or problem, okay? So everybody say symptom. Everybody say problem. Perfect, okay, let's ask this first one. Obesity in America, is that a symptom or a problem? Symptom. You wanna know some crazy statistics? I'm just gonna share these with you because I'm so excited. 32.3% in 2017 of the American population is considered obese. That's one in three. Is that a symptom or is that a problem? Symptom. Because it speaks to something else that's going on that's deeper. Let's go to the next one. Um, depression. Symptom or problem? Do you know that in the last 15 years, antidepressants have gone up, the use of antidepressants has gone up 65% in 15 years. It speaks to a deeper problem, but it's a symptom that we can see. Let's, let's do another one. What about divorce in the United States? An increasing divorce rate, let's say it together. Symptom. Since the 1940s, the number of divorces, percentage-wise, has doubled. Symptom or problem? Symptom. Addictions. 
In the last 10 years, we've seen double the amount of addictions and uh, use of illicit drugs, particularly, I just wanted this so specific, among 50 to 54-year-olds, it has doubled in 10 years, the use of illicit drugs. Is that a symptom or is that a problem? It's a symptom of something else that's going on. And then here's the last one, um, debt or consumerism. Uh-oh. Is this a symptom or is it a problem? Can we say symptom altogether? One, two, three. Symptom. symptom. Americans owe 26% on average of their annual income, which leads us to get to a number of $4 trillion to credit cards, autos, personal loans, and school debt. We haven't even touched houses yet. 26% on average, we owe things that we don't live in. It's a symptom of something much deeper. Here's this rich young ruler, this young guy. I, I wanted to put a picture up so you can just see. He's not, you know, some guy that's just like, uh, we can't relate, we can't understand. You know, he's wearing the turban and he's in the Middle East. He's a young dude. He looks good. He's got his whole life ahead of him. He's got potential. He's done the right thing. I'm telling you, if you're a business owner, you'd hire him. The guy works. He's good with money, he's good with people, he's obedient. I mean, he, he does what he, I mean, he's the model. And so this guy runs up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to secure eternal life? And Jesus says, there's one thing that you lack, go sell all of your stuff. Because as I see your heart, it's sick. That I don't care about your wealth, what I care about is your health. And that's what Jesus speaks to. I just want to say this. I want to read this. Your greatest assets in this life, gifts, talents, time, money, resources, relationships, your greatest assets in this life can become the greatest liabilities for your soul. If we allow them to take the place of Jesus in our hearts. As I've asked you this question, what is the most important thing to you in life? What has replaced Jesus in your heart? Let's read Mark 10, verse 22. It says this, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Don't you hate this ending? Do you know we never see it resolved in scripture? That as far as we know, here's this cool interaction. Jesus has the ability in, in a matter of seconds, even before the guy opens, he just says, teacher, teacher, good teacher. And Jesus already knows where, where it's going and he speaks to it. There's nobody good except for God. We see this crazy interaction and Jesus looks at him and he says, you're so stinking rich. You have so much wealth and power. It has so replaced God's place in your heart that if you want eternal life, restore God to his rightful position in your heart and get rid of the stuff that prevents that from happening. And then you, at this, the man's face fell. Isn't it so interesting that the gospel writers write that? His face falls. And he's visibly sad. And he walks away because this, because the price was too much 
right now. That the thing he wanted most, which was eternal life in a relationship with God, the thing he wanted most cost him everything right now. And it was too expensive. What idols, because that's what this is, that's what, that's what happened. What idols do we have in our lives? What idols do you have at home? What idols do you have at work? What idols do you have in your garage? That one hurts me. I'm sorry I said that. I love my truck. But sometimes it's an idol. Or maybe it's I love my TV. Maybe it's an idol. I love financial independence. I love retirement. I love whatever it is that you hold on to you. Maybe it's become an idol. So let's keep reading. Mark 10, verse 23. We're just going through this whole story. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. You see this bang, bang. I'm just gonna keep hitting it. How hard, how hard, how hard. It is easier just to take it to the next level, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Have you heard this before? What does that even look like? Can we just ask that question and call it out for what it is? I wanna show you a camel. For those of you that needed to see a camel, hump day, there it is. There's the camel. Jesus, it's as if he's out there in the wilderness with a bunch of guys and he sees a camel and he goes, let me illustrate this for you, okay? So you understand how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You see the camel? Okay, now I wanna show you a needle. You all know what a needle looks like. Here's what a needle looks like at this day and age. Jesus says, you wanna know how hard it is? Fit camel, let's go back to the camel. Fit him in that. Get the picture? What would you say to Jesus at this point? We, I've heard different interpretations of this before. Some people say, oh, well, the eye of the needle was this small little door that led into something bigger. And it looks like this. It's like a door. They call it, you see the big door and then there's a little door. They call that the eye of the needle. Do you know that nowhere in history does, do scholars say like, yeah, that's actually a real thing that we can see history or we can see proof or facts that say this was called the eye of the needle. And it's as if people want to say, okay, it wasn't as hard as Jesus is trying to explain it was. Yes, it was. Jesus is saying, fit a giant animal into a teeny tiny little hole and it will be easier to accomplish that than it will for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because it's expensive. Because the more we have and the more we believe we own and the more that just entices us, that's right in front of us, can actually prohibit us from experiencing what God has for us. How do you respond to that? Fear? If you don't yet feel fear, let me say this. Um, we're in the top 1% of income earners in the world. And none of us are rich until we start comparing down, right? Isn't it so easy to compare up? I'm not rich. You see the house across. They got a sweet pole barn. I don't have a pole barn. Therefore, I am the poor one. He is the rich one. Do you think like that? Maybe it's just me. I just look around. They're richer than I am. That's a nicer truck. I bet they got less miles. They're richer than I am. Why is it so uncomfortable? This is, maybe it's just me, but I know it's not. 
How do we address the problem in our own hearts? Can I just ask that? What is it that wants us to justify I'm not rich? Is it so that we don't fit the profile? Because if we connect the dots, what Jesus is saying to this man and to his disciples, if we're rich, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for us to inherit the kingdom of God. That's a hard truth to hear because we are rich. You know, we joke around about power and heat. We're still in the minority in the world that has access to these things. So what does Jesus have to say to us? Um, how many of you have heard of this show? This is it's Marie Kondo. You heard of this one? Anybody? Just show me your hands. Yep, I've heard of this before. Okay, so not the majority. Let me explain this to you. This is a Netflix series that's going berserk. Okay, it's going nuts. It's this lady, this is Marie. Um, she comes into your house. She doesn't speak any English. The whole show is interpreted. It's kind of weird, but she comes in, you know, she's smiley, she's happy. And it's people who are just crazy. They're stressed out. They have broken relationships and marriages. They got junk everywhere. And what she does is she comes in and she coaches you through letting go of your stuff and to donating it to worthy causes to find simplicity and happiness in simplicity in your life. It's kind of crazy. Do you know that Goodwills and Salvation Armies and a whole lot of other donation places are going berserko right now because so many people on Netflix are watching this show, they go into their closet, they grab armfuls, they throw it in a box and they give it away. And the show is going crazy throughout our country. Why? Here's my hunch. I think what everybody in this room and what everybody in our country, and even more so if this is around the world, I think deep down we realize that the stuff that we have in life actually isn't achieving the happiness that we so desire. And if simplifying and reducing can get me there, then I'll do it. And so this show, shows like this are taken off. I just wanna ask a couple specific questions. What have you allowed to become an idol in your life? Because here's what's important. I don't want you to think that getting rid of your stuff is the answer, but it's the exact same analogy that Jesus used with the rich young ruler. Are you having marital problems? Are you stressed? Are you not sleeping well? Do you just feel like your, your world is cluttered, that you're busy, that you just don't find happiness or joy? If that's you, the answer isn't your stuff. Because why? Is it a symptom or a problem? It's a symptom that there's a much greater problem that manifests itself in ways we can see, but Jesus speaks to the things that we can't. So what idols do you have in your life? Is it money or wealth? Is it a house? Is it a vehicle? Is it a TV? Your 75-incher? This one hurts. I'm just gonna tell you right now, particularly after the Super Bowl. Is it sports? Have you allowed sports to become an idol in your life that prioritizes time there over your relationship with God? What about entertainment, social media, education? You fill in the blank. What is it in our lives that we've given power to and control to and allowed to replace that position that Jesus once had in our hearts that we've removed him and put something else? What is it that you can't let go of? Because that 
is what Jesus wants to set you free from. So here's Jesus and he's exclaiming this to the disciples. How hard is it for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God? And you can imagine all of us walking away sad because here we are. And the disciples, I love this, they voice it. And they say this, verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, I don't know if it's amazed, maybe terrified would be a better interpretation. They said to each other, who then can be saved? Who? Because technically we're all rich if you compare us to somebody else, right? We all have something that someone else doesn't have. Therefore, we all fit the bill. Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Isn't that true? I just want this to sink in because it matters. Because I think if there's one thing in our lives that we just, we have to be careful of in our country, it's holding on too closely to things that don't matter. To stuff and to entertainment and to wealth. Francis Chan, he's a pastor. He did this illustration once and he took a thousand feet of rope and just stretched it off. And he said, this is like eternity. This is like the timeline of eternity and we live for this teeny tiny little pencil mark right down and how we live in that pencil mark determines eternity. So I wanna ask you this question again. What is most important to you in life? What is most important to you? I'm gonna invite the, the band back up. God doesn't want something from you. I don't want you to hear that if you leave today and go, oh, God just wants to take from me. He just wants, wants me to let go of something. No, no, God doesn't want something from you. What he does want is something for you. And this is illustrated here. Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. This, does this make sense to everybody in this room? Because for me, maybe I'm the dumb one, right? I'm the dull crayon in the box. For the longest time, I've read this passage and went, I don't get it. Why not just buy the field? Why not just buy the field? Today, mortgage it. I'll take the field and I'll get everything. Here's the, the truth, the greater truth that Jesus was getting at to his disciples and to the people that he led. And it's this, this man's walking through this field. It's not his field. I don't know why he's on the field, but he's walking through and he trips over something. And he says, ow, my foot hurts. I'm gonna go back and look, what? And he starts uncovering it. And what he sees and what he finds is more valuable than all of his stuff combined. It is so extremely, extraordinarily valuable that his life will never be the same if he just can own the field. Because the only way he can bring it up and bring it out is if he owns it. Here's where I missed it before. What do you think the price of the field is? By looking at this verse. Sold, what did, what did he sell? Those three words, all he had 
and bought the field. Here's what this man understood and here's what Jesus is trying to convey to all of us in relationship to our stuff and to our wealth. That you can add up everything we own and everything we have and everything that we desire. And that total value, whatever that may be, does not even scratch the surface of what God has for us hidden in the field. Hear that truth today, that what God has for you is far better than anything you could achieve or accomplish or buy on your own. So here's the thing. Um, you guys have heard this, this phrase before, WWJD, right? You've heard this, right? Everybody say it. What would Jesus, what would Jesus do? I'm gonna change it. You're gonna remember this. You're gonna go home. You're gonna go back to your house or your car or your work, whatever. We're gonna say this. What would Jesus dump? Serious. What would Jesus dump in your life? Because chances are it's the thing that you hold on to the tightest. Don't say your spouse. But what has replaced Jesus' rightful place in your heart? And give it away. Go make a difference in the kingdom. There's a couple organizations I just wanna list. DA Blodgett, North Kent Connect. These organizations in our city give directly to people in need. Schools, call up your local school if you have clothing for students because chances are they accept it and give that out to students in need. Bethany Christian Services actually takes house supplies, decorations and kitchen supplies and bins and all that stuff. They take that and then they give it. They set up refugee families here in Grand Rapids and furnish their homes. This is why Jesus said, take your stuff and give it to the poor. Invest it in the kingdom where it has an eternal impact, not just your kingdom where it lives with you and dies with you. So here's how I just wanna close us. Some of us have been pursuing all of the wrong things. That we've had our eyes set on the promotion or the bank account or the bottom line or the next truck or the next house or you name it. Some of us have just set our sights on the wrong thing chase it and we chase it and we chase it and eventually we get what we've always wanted and we realize it's not what we always thought it was but it's different with Jesus I'm just going to ask you to pray with me would you just bow your heads God we just thank you for offering us something so much better than what's right in front of us God, we just thank you as we sang earlier for the salvation that you so graciously give and provide. And God, I just pray that we as a church right now, regardless of where we're at in our relationship with you, I pray that we would come before your throne right now and that we would reach into our back pocket and pull out whatever it is that we've held onto that we found more value in than our relationship with you. And I pray that we lay that at your feet and we say, God, it can be yours. I pray that you speak exactly to the place that our souls are at, Father. I pray that you speak to us and you show us what to do, that you give us opportunities to see your kingdom at work and you give us the courage to invest in that kingdom in a powerful way. 
And God, if we haven't yet received Jesus as our savior, if we realize that life has been about me and about my things and my stuff and my independence and my relationships and my, 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 I pray that you would show us a glimpse of you. And that if you wanna give your life to the God that will give you more fulfillment and joy and salvation than you could ever find on your own, I just pray that you would submit your life to him right now and say, Jesus, I want you instead. God, we pray as a church for these people that gave their life to you. We pray that we would steward our stuff and our belongings and our things and our wealth for the glory of you and your name and your kingdom because it lives forever. We love you and all God's people said together, amen.